Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. And this week's guest is yet another person that Mike and I uh, had the chance to meet at the Rassemblement up at Orono, Maine, uh, Chelsea Ray. Chelsea is an associate professor of French language and literature at the University of Maine at Augusta. Dr. Ray received her doctorate in comparative literature at UCLA, where she focused on 19th and 20th century French and Russian literature, which is actually pretty interesting. Um, Her classes at UMA range from French language and composition classes to international literature courses. And she's recently taught courses titled Francophone Literature, the European Short Story, and 20th Century European Fiction. Her scholarship is currently focused on women writers in Paris at the turn of the century. And Dr. Ray is also a co-coordinator, and this is way fun, of the UMA French Immersion Weekend, which is absolutely super interesting, a really cool project I'm very excited to talk about. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to be here, and thank you for that introduction. Now, Dr. Ray, before we get, let's talk a little bit about your background a bit. Where are you from? Well, I am far from home. I was born, (laughs) yes, I'm actually a Californian and I grew up in Colorado, so I'm very much a Western spirit. And so coming to the East Coast uh, really was for uh, the professorship in Maine. And so that was uh, my first taste of living on the East Coast. Now, did you grow up speaking French? Where, Where does French enter into this equation? Well, in Colorado, there's a lot of Spanish. Um, right. But my father wanted to go uh, study abroad in high school, and he was second up. He was runner up, and there were scholarships at that time, and he did yeah. not get to go to Central America. So when I started taking French classes in high school, he got really excited. So literally, when I was 15, within a few months of starting French, I was already signed up to live in France for a year. Oh, wow. So no, I had no French in my family, nobody, I, no one in my family speaks any other languages, really. I mean, my parents have, you know, dabbled in Spanish, but really nobody has been serious about language. I'm the only person. Okay, so this is awesome. This is, this is pretty unique from the guests that we talked to. That uh, So you didn't talk any French at all until you got to high school, and yep. then you got to live in, then you got to live in France right away? I got to go to France when I was 16. And, <laughs> that must have been a blast. Um, What was amazing is that I had a wonderful host family who, by the way, is hosting me again this summer with my children. So it's a very very long friendship. And they're this amazing uh, people, very, very wonderful, generous people. And so they, my French host mother was a French teacher. She corrected my French. Um, They were very (laughs) meticulous. Yes. So at the dinner table, I would say, amour, coeur, amour, coeur. I (laughs) practice sounds and... It was unbelievable to have that experience as an American. It was a little daunting at times. I felt like I didn't know American history very well. I didn't know much French, so I was thrown into taking physics, uh, math, history, all the sciences in French straight away. And France has a 20-point scale for grading, and I never got the worst grade in the class. 
There you go. I, I sometimes had a three or four, but some was a little bit <laughs> So it was really hard. My grades didn't count that year, but the French uh, literature teacher was the only person in my whole curriculum who modified it in any way for me. And she gave me some different things to read other than French novels. But otherwise, it was basically sink or swim. And so that's how I teach is I learned by the immersion method of really experiencing the language and wanting to connect with people and so um, that's how I teach it is to uh, just kind of jump right in. And I think that's a great method. And it's one reason why I wanted to take students to France. And that's another thing maybe I'll talk about today is I'm about to embark on a very daunting task of taking 20 people to France with me for that's the first awesome. time. And that's in okay. a couple of weeks. All right. We're definitely going to touch on that then as we go for sure. Now, what this is. That is such a cool thing. I can't even imagine being 16 living in France. That would blow my mind. Um, now, how long have you been up at U Maine Augusta then? So I have been there, um, let's see, uh, over a decade. So really have planted roots. Um, okay. It was my first tenure track position. I received tenure after my sixth year. And I feel really good about being there because um, it's a wonderful work environment where you can be creative and I feel really encouraged to work in French and work with the Franco-American community. And so it's been a real opportunity for me. Um, I love actually teaching French in Maine because Quebec's right there and right. France is a lot closer. Um, and then, of course, Maine, you have the whole Franco-American population that I didn't sure. really know anything about. None of my graduate work touched upon that. And so I came to Maine not knowing a whole lot about French in Maine. And was astounded um, when I really started to dig a little deeper. It wasn't so apparent to me the first year, but once I um, I was told to watch the film Reve Waking Up French by Ben Levine, yes, you be familiar yes, with absolutely. that one. Yep. And so I kept putting that off because I had twin one-year-olds at the time, keep in mind, so I was a bit tired. Oh, wow. but finally, I, I sat down, watched it, and I was just, I was just blown away. Just, wow, what an amazing place I'm in here. And so I did an event at UMA where we uh, showed the film and Ben Levine came and oh, cool. unbelievably we had over a hundred people in attendance and oh, wow. I only planned out about five tortier pies. So <laughs> really, you know, I bought some bagels last minute. I mean, I said funny. potluck, but basically literally people brought one brownie pan. Oh yeah. That's probably not so, going to get it done for a hundred people. You know, it was, it was, it was, but I, we somehow they started slicing the tortier very, very small. And it <laughs> was this imagine. amazing connection. Yeah, that was when Blackie Bouchard from the Club Calumet came up, introduced himself. I've heard, you know, Franco American French, North American French, trying to understand. I remember trying to understand him. And I would say now I understand quite a bit more. At the time, I was probably getting maybe 50, 60%. I wasn't full on. It took me gotcha. maybe a year or two to, to, you know, have more contact invite people to the conversation tables, invite them to my classes. And I would say now I, I understand. And of course, we we laugh if we don't understand. I mean, I feel like I've sure. got a good rapport. Um, but that was a pretty amazing experience, having Ben Levine there and having these people kind of greet me for the first time and really connect. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, before we get to talk about the university and this immersion weekend, which is sounds awesome, I want to touch upon the town of Augusta itself, actually, because when we've talked to, to guests before about, you know, the French Canadian or Franco-American cultural identity in Maine, you know, I talk about Lewiston and Auburn, Biddeford, uh, Brunswick, uh, you don't really hear Augusta mentioned very often. What is French Canadian cultural identity kind of look like in the capital? Well, as far as I understand, Le Club Calumet is the largest Franco-American organization in New England. 
So awesome. it has, I believe, uh, last count, over 900 members, uh, young and old. They really are reaching out to all generations. They've done a great job of that. And they do a lot of really neat events, including, um, I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with uh, the Festival de la Bastille, so the Bastille Festival. It used to be an annual festival um, that Blackie Bouchard uh, worked on and uh, I believe founded. And now they've moved to every other year because it's such a, a, a difficult, you know, it's a, you know, expensive event and there's sure. a lot of planning that goes into it. But they still keep that festival. And Blackie Bouchard taught me that one of the reasons that he started that was to have a way to invite his Quebecois and Canadian family and friends come down to enjoy Maine. And so people did come, I believe, by the busload at that time. That's it's awesome. changed since. But he wanted to kind of capture that sort of family reunion feeling. And so to me, that is one of the quintessential aspects of uh, Franco-American life in Augusta would be that festival. Obviously, you have Sand Hill. Um, I've met people who either uh, they lived on Sand Hill or they live. I've had students whose father had a grocery store on Sand Hill. And I've been told so many interesting stories. Um, some of the most poignant ones were uh, about the level of poverty and the hardships that people live through in Augusta, for example, at that time, the grocers would let you keep a, a, a tab for right, a long yeah, time. on credit, yeah, 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 like a year or more. Um, and so she brought pictures of her father's store, which you know you can still see where it was, and described all the tabs that he kept. Oh wow! Or um, Blackie Bouchard will uh, talk about picking beans and literally making you know a few cents a, an hour. You know, very interesting stories. Makes you really appreciate. The era that we live in, we take so much for granted today. Sure. And if you look back, that that little peak in history for me in talking with the Franco-American community and inviting them to give talks and presentations um, has really given me, as I've always said, I've, I've said that for me, knowing the Franco-American community allowed me really to know Maine in a very, very different way because it's so, so much part of the culture of Maine. But sure. it's a hidden culture is what I tell my colleagues at UMA. It's not necessarily apparent. You have to, you might not know the person's last name might have changed. I had sure. a student in my class. Um, I didn't know for three years that he was Acadian, that he had Acadian uh, or, um, ancestors. So people sure. don't necessarily bring it up, even in a French class where I'm openly right. talking about it, showing Reve waking up French, bringing in guest speakers, bringing in Grégoire Chabot, having you know guests from the Club Calumet. Still, they might not tell me for a couple years. So it's really not a visible identity in a certain way. And so I encourage my colleagues at, at UMA to talk about my French program and not necessarily assume that they know who might be interested because they, they, sure. might, not, they might not be apparent. No, that's absolutely right. And that was honestly a big motivator for why we got our project together, you know, to get a forum for people to tell these stories because it is super fascinating. Um, and I did want to touch upon, you know, some of the things you guys have going on up at the University of Maine at Augusta that might be interesting to our listeners. And one of the things that caught my attention right away, probably influenced by where I work, um, but is you, you offer online class and hybrid classes in French at UMA. And, you know, so how, how are those kind of, uh, what's the format? What does that look like if you were a student who might be interested in, in learning that way? Well, great question. So uh, UMA, of course, has various sites and centers around the state. So we're the most, the, we're the university in the UMaine system with the most credits in, online. And 
Um, at first, when I started UMA, I really wasn't necessarily planning to teach French online. It wasn't something that I thought would be simple. I didn't think sure. that it'd be hard, you know, to lose the interaction. But as I, I kind of uh, let my, sometimes I'll say, I let my students show me how to do things in the sense that they, they wanted that. I had a student who was, you know, I think about four hours away from campus and wanted to finish out a French minor so she could teach French. And so at my upper level, I allowed her to attend via, at that time, Google, Google Hangout, which now we use Zoom sure. sometimes. Um, so she, she came. So I had these like trial run semesters, one person here, one person there. But then I really got more serious about it. And as the technology improved, I was able to really envision how I could do it. So there's a couple things I do. One, I tape all my classes. I videotape all my classes, which is Ooh. not the same, obviously, as being in person because it's interactive. You get right, to practice, yeah. but at least the literal content of what was said, the grammar Absolutely. explanations, all of that is provided, which I think is ethical. Sometimes online classes simply provide you a workbook with self-graded activities, and they call that a class. I mean, that's not a class. It absents the professor. So I do have videotape of all my classes, but now I've been experimenting, especially since I have an online tutor from France. So I have students from the University of Western Brittany who come every year on scholarships and they help me in the French program. And now we've, awesome. we've kind of pioneered this online French tutor. And so she, um, this year, um, Lisa used Zoom on Thursday night. So she'd have an hour and a half block that people could call in and make an appointment with her and uh, speak French so that they get some practice and have the interaction that's missing from obviously the videos. Now, certain students would use that and others, I think, would be shy. And so I tried to make it even more user friendly by making what's called meet and greets. You know, how, how friendly can that sound? So, <laughs> you know, show up your whole cohort, all the online French 101 students will be there. All the online 203 or, or 305 students will be there. And that worked awesome, especially for the 200 group. Very motivated. They got to meet each other. They got That's to cool. speak French. We use a Word document as the Blackboard. So we basically type out every single thing that's said so that when, you know, with the screen share capabilities, you can actually do a classroom. And in fact, this semester for the first time, I taught on Zoom a conversation class with 10 people. So that was quite an adventure. I can't say it's the simplest. And there were pieces that sure. I think I could have done better or differently, but it worked. And the students told me, they said, hey, you know, we work during the day. This is the first yeah, no, time exactly. in my career at UMA that I've actually had a class where I met, met other people. So I felt very happy that I made the hour in my evening time, which I often don't. And I'm going to do that actually this summer, do another uh, Zoom with uh, my literature class. It just says 45 minutes, once a, once a week, let's check in. Because the students, they crave that kind of interaction. And it makes the class a lot more fun and interesting. So that's kind of how I've done online French. I use Blackboard, which... Um, Basically, they have all the homework there. They have the uh, videos. They have any files they need. They have to submit online. So it's pretty intricate, actually. Um, it has increased my workload, but I also feel pretty proud that I'm helping people in far off places that would not necessarily have access to French yeah, be able to continue their French. So I'm committed to it, but I really want to have a quality class because I feel like that's that's my training. That's what I that's what I was hired to do. So I, that's what I'm trying to do as best I can. Oh, that's very cool. And I, I'm wondering, are there any options for uh, maybe people in the area who aren't necessarily, you know, matriculating UMA students who just want the opportunity to drop in somewhere? 
mm-hmm. speak some French. And I'm thinking maybe even people like my folks or who grew up in a similar situation to my folks where perhaps they spoke French growing up, but it's been years since they talked French and just kind of want the opportunity uh, kind of in a stress-free situation to just go in and practice their skills. Is that kind of, so is that something like that available? So for people living close to Augusta, there's two options. This year, I'll be teaching a conversation course on Tuesdays at noon, and that is, it's called uh, Beginning French. It's basically for beginners and beyond. I leave it kind of vague because the Franco-American community is beyond. They're not necessarily beginners. They're not necessarily completely fluent. They might have pieces they remember. There might be other things that are rusty. So I had to tailor the class to some group, though. I used to teach it, believe it or not, I used to teach it fluent, fluent to beginners. And that was a little wow. rough going. So someone who'd never sure. heard a word of French, never heard bonjour, and someone who grew up <laughs> speaking French since they were zero. That was a, t- that was a tough yeah, that's uh, hard, group. Yep. So now I call it Beginners and Beyond. So it's super flexible, and I really tailor it to the interests and the needs of the class in front of me. So that's coming up this year. Um, I also have a French conversation course, a table that's not a course, and it's just once a month. You just come. And uh, we do activities. Sometimes I'll show a clip from a film. We have a really fun uh, card game, Set Famille, that we used, um, where it's okay. very simple French. Uh, we also did chair yoga in French, you know, just all kinds of little things. I don't, it doesn't necessarily fit completely into my classes, but it's, so it's fun canvas for me to, to do other things that are related, but uh, somewhat different. So you do have the conversation course, that's French 103, and then you have the conversation table. And I'm very welcoming uh, the conversation table. I even say in every invitation that I devote the first 15 minutes to beginners so that they know I will slow it down. Now, eventually, sometimes we'll, we'll speed it up or we'll break into sure. groups. So I try to make it super flexible because um, basically as a language teacher, uh, my job is to make it be less intimidating for people. Because if they say pub- public speaking, people fear public speaking more than death. Well, think about for language. <laughs> You yeah, know, absolutely. Public speaking in in a foreign, you know, in a in native language or foreign language, and, and you know, it's it's tricky. So, um, but people have told me over the years that the, I'm the only class that they they actually speak in, and you can't hide in my classes because I don't feel like I'm doing my job, and I want to do my sure. job and help students. So, um, those those are options. But actually, for uh, people like your parents, every other year, I think I am going to be teaching the conversation class on Zoom in the evenings. Oh, that's cool. um, because of my schedule partly in, and also to accommodate people who can't come during the day. So I may be doing a, an every other uh, year kind of arrangement. So that kind of person might really benefit from coming into that, that kind of a, a Zoom class and participating. No, that's cool. That's way interesting. Now, there's a couple other classes I wanted to touch upon that maybe not necessarily in the French department, but absolutely caught my attention. And one was this humanities class mm-hmm. called Franco-Americans, Cultural Identity and Context, which reading the description was like, this is exactly what Mike and I are trying to do with this podcast. So what is what what is this class? What is it about? What, is, what are the goals, aims? So the class is to introduce students to Franco-American history and culture. And one of the things I love most about the class that I, I think you can relate to uh, hosting the show is that I do a lot of guest speakers. So nice. we've had uh, Blackie Bouchard from the Club Calumet, Ria Cote Robbins has come, Gregoire Chabot has come. And so it's really to get students more sensitized to the issues, to um, food, poems, uh, ways of life, hearing personal stories. I often will have uh, members of the Franco-American community take the class 
alongside the, the students who may or may not be Franco-American. And the stories, the personal stories that they share become the most meaningful thing for the students. We also have a culminating project where the students go out into uh, uh, the community and they find someone who is Franco-American and interview that person and then come back and present those results to the class. And sometimes we'll even have uh, them professionally videotaped on campus or they do their own video or they just do a summary. So I make it flexible depending on how they want to use technology. But those are very, very satisfying. Oftentimes they are interviewing family members. Sure. People that they've always wanted to know more about, but they haven't really had a forum. Um, all of a sudden through this class, they can ask those questions. We also have a memoir piece that I love because I don't often get a chance to work with students on creative writing as part of my classes. And so I include a memoir piece for any culture and people tell stories about their childhood. And it's really quite beautiful to read um, the, the stories. Uh, sometimes they'll share things about, you know, growing up or uh, memories. And so that's another really favorite part of that of that class that I, I enjoy doing. No, that's awesome, because I would imagine you would have to be able to see that uh, these students, their conception of their own cultural identity must be, I would imagine, is completely different at the end of a course like that than it was at the beginning. That's very true, and that's something that I learned from Susan Panette, who teaches uh, Franco-American studies in New Maine, obviously, and you know her. Um, yep. That she said sometimes people would, would actually discover their Franco-American identity in the course of taking a class with her, and I think I've had that same experience. And I learned awesome. quite a bit from her and hearing um, stories about her classes. And I, I've been very inspired by, by her work and was just thrilled to be able to, to attend that rassemblement. Um, it's such a creative, dynamic group that they host every, every year. And it's a real honor to be able to participate and see the breadth and the depth of the, the kinds of creative and scholarly work that's going on that people may not hear about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike and I, we talk about it all the time. I had an absolute blast that entire time we were up there. It was awesome. Um, I did want to talk about, you have an, which I thought was kind of cool, you have an English class mm -hmm. about Francophone literature. And I thought that was kind of unique because one of the discussions we've had in the past is whether or not something, if it's written in, because first of all, the class is offered in English. It's taught in English. Mm -hmm. Whether something, if, if, some, if it's written in English, could it even be considered Franco-American literature? Was it was an entire topic we had. So the fact that you offer a class taught in English about Francophone literature, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, so I've revamped that class over the years. And so the way I start it now is in Maine, um, where French is still spoken. And we start with the sure. Franco-American playwright, Grégoire Chabot. Uh, we read uh, Jacques Cartier Comes to America, which you may be familiar with. It's it's very, very funny and interesting. And it's bilingual. He translated it himself. So the students that uh, can read French actually do have uh, the French copy and students cool. don't read French, read the, the English translation that he personally did. So we do that and then we explore the historical and aesthetic evolution uh, in places like North Africa, such as Algeria. We go on to the Caribbean uh, with uh, Guadeloupe and Martinique. And so we, we look at different stories in the context of say, uh, colonization, decolonization, um, which does tie back in with uh, Jacques Cartier comes to America. So it all kind of comes together. Students really enjoy those those works and they feel like they've kind of traveled the world and seen something different than than what they would normally read. But we start right in Maine. So it kind of brings awesome. home that these these issues are alive and well here. 
a couple of things that again caught my attention was uh, there's plenty of opportunities for your students to travel, which I thought was neat. I, I want to get to this trip to France, but even before we get to that, uh, I, I noticed that you have a, a intermediate French immersion travel course, which sounds crazy, and that you have a French club that takes annual trips also to you know either Quebec City or Montreal. Can you tell us about those? Because that seems like, it, again, if I was a college student and had that opportunity, this sounds amazing. Yeah, so it really was student-led. They really wanted to go to Quebec, and so we started going to the international hostel that's in Quebec every year in the spring. And it's a really great group. Uh, we take 12 students. We plan the trip a good chunk of the year. We get student life monies, and they pay a nominal fee of, say, uh, $60 or $80. And they're able to go for three nights. We stay there. We have some group meals. We have a walking tour. We get to just enjoy the uh, old city of Quebec. And it really is a wonderful trip. And it, it does help them understand more why learn French. They start to understand a little bit more about uh, Quebecois history and culture through the walking tour. And it just gives them a little taste. And I, sure. I'm, I'm proud of those trips, too, because there are students that haven't necessarily traveled outside of Maine or, or certainly outside the country. Um, and to, to, to be honest, it can take me months to talk somebody into traveling sometimes. So wow. I'm very patient. And I, for me, trying to get a student like that to go on a trip is like a 10-step process. You know, people say, oh, just shoot out an email. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that because it's kind of mm -hmm. getting them familiar with the idea, talking to them, talking about what they can expect. And the, the student that I, I worked with, had an amazing time. He told me later that he was so glad he went and it really was uh, a great experience for him. I was glad he, he was able to make it. So it is, we, we're creating those memories. Um, one thing that we do that's interesting, um, there's a Quebecois rapper called Webster who's come to the United States and he's come to Maine and, and to UMA. And so we actually try to have lunch with him every every time we go. So there's kind of a personal connection, too. He's come to our campus. We go to him. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. So there's there's, there's a little personal connections. I think the, the strength of my work in French at UMA in general is that there's so many connections between what I'm doing. So it's not nothing standalone. The class is relying on the club, is relying on the trips. Um, so you can get the same kind of experience doing these these. Uh, interrelated activities and so they really get kind of a 360 experience of it because as That's I said awesome. because I started in France when I was 16 completely experiential that sure. I always wanted, tried to get students outside the classroom what kind of experience can I give them how can I help uh, give them something that they'll later say wow I really want to go back to that place or maybe I want to travel more what can I learn here what can I explore um, so that's that's part of the goal of, of um, of those trips to Quebec. That's so cool. All right, now you mentioned it ahead of time. This is news to me. What is this two weeks in France about? UMA has an annual trip, and I worked with Rose uh, Pelletier in the Office of Student Life, and we are taking the students to France this year for 10 days. And so uh, 90 students, it was a lottery, so 90 students put their name in for the 20 spots. Sure. And I was able to offer some scholarships for students so that they could afford to go because I'm always very budget conscious in any university, but certainly at UMA. And so some students paid $1,000 for the 10 days, but some students only paid $500. Uh, we got, wow. we had a very generous donation 
from Bob Fuller, and he was supportive of us taking students to France. And so he helped support the students who wanted to go but wouldn't be able to afford it. So uh, we have a wonderful trip planned. We have a relationship with the University of Western Brittany, as I mentioned earlier. We yeah, have right. French students awesome. coming. And so they've agreed to ha host us for five nights. They're going That's to take awesome. us to Le Conquet and the Lighthouse. They're going to take us to this beautiful quaint village of Quimper. They've organized crepe dinners. They've organized <laughs> meetings with students, tours, uh, a boat ride back from the lighthouse. Um, we also have a student who is French, but she she was at UMA for a year. And so she's her family's hosting a barbecue for 22 of us in their That's backyard awesome. somehow. That's great. So really generous. And I told the students, I said, don't miss this, this because this is the only private home that we'll be visiting during our entire trip. So, That's a unique experience. Yeah. And then awesome. after the five nights in Brittany, we're going to Paris, of course, Paris for four nights. Sure. Because you can't miss Paris if you're going to France. I tried to explain this to students, though. I said, you know, there's a reason why I'm trying to split the trip because you're all thinking about Paris, but Paris right. is not all of France. And so I, I'm I'm curious to see when we get back what they'll say if if sure. they'll say, wow, that really made sense that we did both, or would we have rather just done one city or another? It does make the trip a lot more complicated to plan. Right. And believe it or not, even after planning this for a year and a half, I'm still working on details. Um, things, you know, now, you know, paying bills, getting final invoices, which take multiple emails and phone calls. I mean, it's, it's really labor intensive. It's a labor of love. So we'll be in Paris for four nights. Um, we have the Paris pass. And so we're going to go to muse uh, two museums, Le Louvre and the Musée d'Orsay. Sure. We have a hop on hop off bus ride. And we also are going to an area of Paris called Montmartre, which is where all the artists hang out and they do sketches. That's awesome. And there's the yep. beautiful Sacré-Cœur Cathedral, which is gorgeous and just one of my favorite places in Paris. I lived in Paris for a year, so I know it really well. Um, awesome. So we're looking forward to that. We're staying at a youth hostel. And fortunately, the youth hostel includes both breakfast and dinner, um, which is extremely rare. And so I'm trying to save students money. Well, yeah, because you get to Paris and then all of a sudden... It's very expensive. It's like you hemorrhage money or something in that city. So um, we're going to have a, a really good time, I think, and have a lot of um, hopefully different experiences and, and see some French culture up close. So what exactly is the main French language heritage program? So the, the main French heritage language program is a program that was founded uh, a number of years ago. It's, it's been actually seven years where uh, we got inspired, they were cutting French in the Augusta school system. Wow. And yep. we didn't, we wanted French to, to live on in Augusta. We felt that was incredibly important. And so we got funding from the French uh, American Cultural Exchange in New York. And also we wound up getting funding eventually from a Quebecois organization, Le Centre de la Francophonie des Amériques, which is the Center of Francophonie of the Americas. And they helped fund classes in Augusta and Auburn. That's awesome. And so they're continuing to this day. I'm no longer coordinating the program. Um, I was co-coordinator with Doris Bonneau, who was coordinating in Auburn, an amazing person and with such energy and really uh, gave so much. And, and this was uh, sponsored by the Franco-American Center, which is now the, the Gendron Center there. And so the children uh, twice a week learn French in uh, the Bucher Community Center in Augusta. And so I'm really thrilled that it continues to this day because kids do need access to language. Their brains Absolutely. are primed to learn. And it is really a shame that in this country we don't pay more attention to language at the lower levels because that's the levels 
where you can make it uh, very accessible and interesting and, and engaging. And the kids just don't even know they're learning. You're, they're playing a game with colors sure. or they're running around doing something with a book or numbers. Um, that's when I started using the puppets was I was working in that program. And also I did a program when I first got to Augusta, Fun in French for Kids, which was a Saturday morning program. And I had my own children in that program. And my children <laughs> are awesome. now older and they, they're speaking proficiently in French. So I'm really proud of that's that. That's very cool. And you plant those seeds when they're young. And so um, I really would love to work with parents to inspire them to do more. There was a Franco-American uh, a set of grandparents in Fun and French for Kids at that time. And they got inspired to teach uh, French to their twin grandboys. Oh, and did you know because I tried to demonstrate the pedagogical uh, methods and so they wound up doing that and eventually that person uh, w were taught in one of the local schools French so I think that it's important to uh, showcase how much fun it can be for the kids and how much energy they can get how much excitement they can get from learning language that can be really really fun to do sure now what what ages are we talking about in this program so the elementary school uh, at the time, and I believe it's the same, is I think first through fifth or sixth. So oh, really, so we're talking real little we start with here. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, we we uh, at first started with kindergarten, but then we realized that might be a little bit too wide. wide. But what we wanted to do is create a program where people could have their, their all their kids in one program. Gotcha. Because if you're a parent, it doesn't do you a lot of good if one child's in a program and the other one needs to be picked up or vice sure. versa. Absolutely. So we had basically all the grades and, and language you do have to repeat a lot anyway. So we had people who took the class uh, for many years and now are taking French at Coney High School. So we're trying to plant those seeds young. I love it. Now, I mentioned at the beginning the French Immersion Weekend. So I want to make sure that we touch upon this for sure, because this sounds really awesome. Um, first of all, who gets to go to the French Immersion Weekend? Do you have to be a student at UMA? No, this was actually originally a program of the Penobscot Language School. And then uh, last year, UMA took it on and we did a one-day immersion on campus. Um, but it basically okay. is open to students, community members, high school students. Um, the, main, uh, the main thing is that if you, if you come on the immersion weekend, you have to be able to speak in French the entire weekend. Doesn't mean yep. perfect French. Doesn't sure. mean that you have to be grammatically correct French, but it does mean you have to be able to exist in some form or fashion in French. <laughs> um, now we have intermediate and advanced workshops. So if you have less French, um, for example, an intermediate workshop I teach is puppets. The students come, I break them into groups and they write out a little skit with our help. Um, we'll write it down for them if they need help with the writing. And then they do a little skit on, oh, you know, Johnny lost his tooth and he went to the dentist or this person got angry with this person because a rock got thrown or whatever, you know, little scenes like that. And so it kind sure. of brings it to life. It's so fun. I have about 30 puppets and it's really uh, quite fun. There's workshops on crepe making awesome. where you actually get to make crepes and then we serve those for lunch. There's uh, making of appetizers. There's a singing uh, workshop. We have... Uh, pétanque, which is a, a game that um, is an outdoor throwing game. We also have learned from our European students, Molki, which is also a throwing game, but that is with wooden pegs and you, you, you're throwing. So we've learned some new games, but it's an amazing group of people. If you can imagine the teaching volunteers have worked together some between 10 and 20 years on this project 
off and on. And so it's yeah. really a very tight knit group. Julia Schultz is my co-coordinator and she founded the Penobscot Language School and really brought this to fruition. Um, she reignited it uh, when I got to UMA a few years after I got to UMA because I said, yeah, I'd love to have this be recreated and I can bring students so that can get you started with uh, making sure we have enough participants that year. And so we kind of got the ball rolling again. And so now uh, UMA and the ATF, the American Association of Teachers of French, were co-sponsors of the weekend. And it's happening at Blueberry Cove near Tenants Harbor. It's a beautiful location right next to the ocean. Um, I should say um, it's fairly rustic. You are in a cabin with a mattress and basically a sleeping bag. No there heat. You so, you know, <laughs> late September, it depends on how it's how Maine is. But sure. we do have a full kitchen, bathrooms, hot showers, um, that kind of thing. So a really beautiful lodge, fireplace, that kind of thing. So it's not full on camping in a tent, but people do have to be aware that they, they will be um, sleeping, you know, in, in, a, in a kind of rustic cabin in some way. But it's a very tight knit group. And I encourage anybody who's thinking about coming to, to email me or Julia and let us know if you have questions. Um, we'd love to help you keep up your French. And this is an excellent way because it's, it's actually very inexpensive. For students, it is $125 for the whole weekend. That includes workshops, food, lodging, everything. And for community members, it's $165. So it's completely free, uh, excuse me, completely inexpensive sure. considering that to buy a, a ticket to France or even to get over the border to Quebec is going to cost you a lot more. And if you go to Quebec or France, you're not surrounded by people who are, are really helping you with your French. Right. We're there to help. Most of us are professional French teachers. And so we're there uh, providing supports. For example, at the meals, we have uh, little conversation cards. So you have maybe a sample question and some, maybe even some, I wrote one. I wrote one up one year and I put sample answers, you know, to try to help yeah, people sure. kind of think on the fly. And obviously some of that is review, but uh, it really is a wide range of speakers. So you want to be sensitive to their needs and make sure that they're comfortable and uh, so a new feature of the weekend we're going to try this year is some of our workshops are going to have partner work at the beginning so that people okay. do go ahead and have that five minute conversation where they can just talk and, and practice some French in, in kind of a structured way and get some supports. So it really is um, quite, quite amazing, amazing weekend. And we're looking forward to doing it. Now, are these activities, lectures, are any of them like uh, separated but almost by level where people who are, you know, just barely good enough to be able to hang for a weekend can go to one side, but those who maybe have been speaking French forever can go and attend something different? Or is it kind of all just together? Well, the workshops, they are differentiated. So we have the intermediate level. So it's still, you know, you need substantive French. Sure. And then the advanced. The advanced levels, there might be less supports. There might be less things written down. Um, we had uh, a participant from uh, the Hope House, which is a house that in Portland that houses new immigrants to Maine and most of which, most of whom speak French. We had someone from the Hope House speak uh, last year and he just spoke normally as he normally would. So sure. that is an advanced level because people really have to be able to follow along at that pace. Whereas right. the puppets you can see are that slowed, that slowed down or there's a hands-on things like we'll play, uh, we'll, we'll do the crepes or, or foot oh, sure. on, we'll play soccer. Yeah. Um, so there's less French that you need. And in fact, one of our key activities that we do every year is we have, we've had Cindy LaRuck come for a number of years and play and do uh, Franco-American dances. 
Oh, that's and cool. That has been really neat too. And as you can see, one of the favorite things about that is you don't need a lot of language to dance and enjoy the music. And so that also makes it kind of more accessible to people who might not otherwise uh, be able to uh, feel like they can participate fully. Oh, that's awesome. And now one of the things I did see that the theme for this year's is the French North America, which is kind of cool. Now, what will that mean? How will that create a different experience in past years to have that theme? So we have a theme every year. Uh, Julia Schultz, she's in charge of creating the workshops. And so we're asking people as they submit ideas to think about how they might incorporate that theme into their workshop. So, for example, we might have somebody making tortier uh, for dinner or maybe someone would have family stories that they would share or perhaps songs. So uh, it's dynamic and it's in process now. So I don't have the full uh, workshop schedule, but it's basically wanting to feature that we had a request. We did do a survey of our uh, participants last year. And that was one question was, could we focus more on Quebec or on Franco-American culture? Sure. So we wanted to bring that forward and make that an important part of this year. And I think it'll be really successful. There's so much to to learn about. And I think people will be interested in learning more and, and participating. Well, this has been way fun. Now, where if somebody's interested, they hear this and they're like, this sounds like the greatest weekend of all time. Where do they get information? How do they sign up? How can they contact you? Yes. So if you go to uh, the website, if you Google French at UMA, that's pretty easy to find. And then you would just type in either French events or immersion weekend. And basically it's going to be at the top of your search. And so we have a website where we have uh, over 100 photos from past weekends. And we also have a five minute video that we shot on campus last year. It's not on on location where we'll be this year, but it'll give you an idea of the card games, the meals, the kind of comradeship that you'll see that's on there. There is a form to fill out uh, registration form, and then actually you can pay online. So you can do everything that you need to do right on that one site. And it's really easy. If you're not sure about your level of French, or if you want to ask questions, uh, my information is on the site. Chelsea.d.ray at main.edu is right there. I can be emailed and Julia Schultz can also be contacted. Well, this is awesome. We will absolutely post a direct link to where you can find this information on all our social media. So we'll make sure to do that. But this was awesome. Uh, Dr. Ray, Dr. Chelsea Ray, University of Maine at Augusta. Thank you so much for joining. And thanks for having me. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.
This program is recorded at the Conquer TV podcasting studio. The views and opinions expressed during this podcast are not necessarily those of Conquer TV. The producer is solely responsible for its content.